0: wa wa ala ibadihi so just to recap so far we've covered um, five praiseworthy traits from Imam Ghazali's text al-arbareen fi usud al we've covered tawbah, we've covered uh, fear or, so tawbah which is repentance we covered fear which is khawf we covered asceticism which is zuhud, we covered patience which is sabr we covered yesterday gratitude, which is shukr. And then today, inshallah we'll cover ikhlas, which is sincerity, and maybe get into truthfulness, I don't know, siddiqu. Then the remaining sections are reliance, which is tawakkul, then love, which is mahabbah, uh, then contentment with divine decree, which is ar bil-qadr, and then uh, remembering death, which is the last trait that Imam Ghazali rahimahullah mentions. If you can't hear, just move forward. Um, the theme that you'll begin to see is that uh, some of these traits are very difficult to bring into your life and the goal isn't for us to make a change overnight it's twofold one is that like i mentioned yesterday is to know that um, there are higher stations uh, than we maybe previously thought and that if we know that these exist then we can actually strive toward it if we don't know it exists then we'll never actually make any strides toward it and the second thing to at least uh, the second thing to gain from this is an appreciation that there is more to Deen than just uh, movement of our limbs. There's the heart. There's a connection with Allah. There's depth in worship. There's depth in interactions, and uh, this makes this creates a taste for Deen. And unless you have a real taste for deen, it's difficult to want to progress in your deen. So we use this as a motivation for us as well. Okay, so just to recap from yesterday, we covered shukr, which was gratitude. And we, re- we mentioned how um, the reality of shukr is that it's a goal in and of itself. It's not necessarily a trait that you bring in, because the other go- the other ones that we covered, which included patience, fear, Zuhud. These are all stations that we covered previously. When Ghazali mentions that these stations are uh, not a goal and in and of themselves. You bring in these traits so that you can achieve a goal. So Tawbah, the purpose of Tawbah is so that you can remove filth from your heart and you can renew your relationship with Allah. The purpose of Zuhud is so that you can attain a higher state, etc. But the goal of Shukr, Shukr is in and of itself is the goal to be thankful to Allah. And the reason it's a goal is because we know that this is the one uh, quality that the believers will carry on even in the hereafter. You know, being thankful to Allah doesn't stop in this world, it carries on into the hereafter. Um, you know, the, we will be thankful even in the hereafter, but there'll be no need in the hereafter for tawbah, there'll be no need for zuhud, there'll be no need for patience or sabr. You'll get whatever you want in Jannah. But thanks to Allah or praise or, or gratific- uh, gratitude toward Allah Ta'ala, that'll never end. So that was kind of the highlight of yesterday what we covered. Um, we also talked about. Um, What it means to praise Allah Ta'ala We talked about How Allah Ta'ala is fa'il haqiqi He's a true doer of everything And when a person truly appreciates That Allah is fa'il haqiqi Then and only then can you truly appreciate Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala But if our belief in that is lacking Then it'll be difficult to gain a true appreciation For Allah Um, We talked about Um how to express thanks for various things. So if Allah Ta'ala blesses us with something, what are the different stations of expressing gratitude? Be it gratitude for the object, gratitude that it came from Allah, or, uh, or the uh, highest station, which is that you express gratitude not through your thanks of Allah, and not through your attribution of Allah, but actually through utilizing whatever that blessing was that He's given you for His sake. And that's the highest purpose of gratitude. We use the example of if someone gives you a gift, and you, have, you can be either mesmerized by that gift and just acknowledge it and hide it away in your closet or somebody gives you that gift and then you thank them for it and you appreciate that it came from them, that, that's the middle tier. And then the third is that you actually, uh, if they give you a gift, you actually use that gift and you use it in front of them. They give you a pair of clothes, you wear those clothes in front of them. They give you uh, a brand new car, you actually drive that car around. That's the highest station of gratitude. So if Allah Ta'ala has given us a blessing, be it eyesight, be it hearing, be it wealth, be it energy, be it uh, children, that we actually use those for his sake, that's the highest form of appreciation even more than expressing your gratitude toward Allah Ta'ala. Okay, so the next section, so sincerity, ikhlas, and truthfulness, which is sidaq. Like I said, this is a very long section, so we're only going to cover some significant portions from it, inshallah, with the focus being on the first part, which is ikhlas and sincerity. And this is very applicable because one of the most common questions people ask is, how do I know if I'm sincere? Like, that's a very common question. People don't ask necessarily, how can I be grateful to Allah? Because we kind of have an idea of how to do it. Uh, people don't necessarily ask uh, about, uh, you know, what does it mean to fear Allah? But everybody asks the question of, how do I know I have true sincerity in my heart? What, how do I know that I'm sincere with my Allah? Okay, so he says, Imam rahimahullah says, know that sincerity is a reality, a foundation, and perfection. So, There's a foundation for for ikhlas, there's a reality to it, and then there's perfection, which is the highest. Uh, These are the three pillars. Its foundation, its base, is intention, for sincerity is within it. So if you have sincere intention, that's the base for you having uh, sincerity. Sorry, if you have a proper intention, that's the base for you having ikhlas. um, Its its reality, which is a middle stage, is negating any corruption of intention, and its perfection is truthfulness. So, the first pillar is intention. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Do not turn away from those who invoke their Lord in the morning and in the evening, desiring His countenance. His, you know, wajha is the word that's used, which is like the face of Allah. Now, not figuratively speaking, but you could say the attention of Allah ta'ala. This is the first pillar, which is intention. That whatever we do is for Allah ta'ala's attention and His attention alone. The meaning of intention is to want Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's countenance, his face, his attention. The Prophet said, "Actions are only but intentions." Everybody knows this. al-amadu He also said, "Truly, the angels lift up a page of a slave's deeds, and Allah Taala says, Throw it away.' For surely He did not desire my countenance." Okay, so I'll, say, I'll repeat it again. The Prophet said that truly the angels lift up a hadith. Sorry, lift up a page of a slave's deed, and Allah Taala says, "Throw it away." For surely he did not desire my countenance. Write for him such and such. So the angels will say, He didn't do any of these things. He didn't do any of these things. So Allah Ta'ala says, He certainly intended. He certainly intended. Okay, so this is for someone who does something that's correct, uh, at least according to what's outward, but inside their intention was not correct. Alaihi Wasallam said people are for actually let's go to the next section um, it has been narrated that a man from the Bani Israel children of Israel passed by some sand dunes during a drought he said to himself if this sand was food I would divide it between the people so there was a drought he saw sand and he said if this sand was food I would divide it amongst the people You know, rather than keep it to myself um, so Allah ta'ala revealed to their prophet say to him indeed Allah Ta'ala has accepted your charity appreciated your good intention and given you the reward of what you have given in charity, had it been food, the Prophet also said, "If two Muslims confront one another with their swords, both the killer and the killed are end, end up in the fire. The murderer and the one who was murdered both end up in the fire." It was said, "O Messenger of Allah but one is a killer and uh, one is a killer. But what about the one who was killed? Right? He didn't commit a crime. He was killed." The Prophet said, "He intended to kill. He intended to kill. So both of them are thrown into fire. So two, you know, you can take that example and expand that." Okay, so let's move on into the commentary. al-Rahim Allah says, The reality of intention. The reality of intention is the motivating willpower that emerges from knowledge. To clarify, this means that no action is correct without ability, will and knowledge. So you have knowledge which provokes will and will is the motivation for ability. So you have a knowledge of something that inspires you to do something and then your ability itself causes that action to then occur. Ability is the servant of will through the movement of the limbs. So Imam Ghazali says an example of this is that Allah Ta'ala Created within you the desire for food, but it could be dormant. So we all have a desire for food. It's dormant Uh, It's as if it were sleeping if your sight lands on some food uh, Knowledge of the food occurs, so you don't know that there's food, but you have this desire within you to eat You don't know you don't know there's food around now your sight lands on food. You see that it's there Okay the desire for food is thus awakened so you stretch your hand out to it so now the desire is at middle stage which is your will the stretching of the hand out toward it is your actual ability you do so only through the through an ability that is within you which is obedient to the signaling of desire desire is awakened through the attainment of knowledge which in turn is gained from sensory observation okay so let's give you another example you have wealth that you want to give right now you don't have the opportunity to give wealth. So that desire is within you, it's just dormant, it's sleeping. Now somebody comes and says, hey, I'm collecting money for this cause. Or somebody approaches you and says, "You know, I'm in need, I need some support. Then that's your knowledge that this now exists. Now you can actually execute the action. So what's the will? The will is that somebody presents an opportunity and in your heart you begin to think, wow, I would love to actually contribute. I would love to give my money for this cause. That's the middle stage which is will. Now ability, Imam Ghazali says is to actually then hand over the money. So these are the three stages. Um The intended meaning of action is its effect upon the heart. Okay, this is the next section. If a deed occurs through the motivation of intention, then the completion of worship is through both the intention and the deed. I'll repeat that. If a deed occurs through the motivation of intention, then the completion of worship is through both intention and the deed. Intention is one of the two parts of worship. However, it is the best of two parts intention is one of two parts of worship however it's the best of two parts because deeds done through the limbs are only intended for the effect they have on the heart okay so so that it may incline to the good flee from evil and thus be free for the reflection and remembrance that lead a person to fellowship and knowledge with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala okay so for example He's going to give an example. The person placing their forehead on the ground is not merely placing their forehead on the ground. Right? We go into such that we put our forehead on the ground. Let's say we're outside of Salah. You are not merely placing your forehead on the ground. Rather, it is the heart's humility. But the heart is affected by the action of the limbs. So, you desire that your heart be humbled. The manifestation of that outwardly is going to be by you putting your forehead on the ground. But on the flip side, if you simply just put your forehead on the ground without any intention that you yourself are trying to humble yourself before whoever you're prostrating toward, then that action has no meaning. Okay, But the manifestation is going to be through putting your forehead on the ground. Uh, the purpose of zakat for instance is not giving up possessions rather it is removing the vile quality of stinginess which is by cutting off the heart's relationship with wealth so when allah ta'ala has commanded you to give zakat it's not just a burden for you that you now have to cut and calculate two and a half percent of your wealth and you have to give it to some cause it's not the goal of zakat that's the outward manifestation is that you calculate and subtract wealth out but that's not the purpose of zakat the purpose is that this to so the from your from your attachment to your wealth that stinginess can be removed from it we want to hold on to it and for us to think that i have to give up $500 or $1000 or whatever depending on your uh, income $10,000 every year that removes stinginess from the heart so the man so you have it so so the manifestation of that is going to be removal of your wealth physically but the purpose is not that so similar to Allah Ta'ala desires is for us so when we're calculating our zakat if in our hearts we're thinking that this is just a Terrible burden on me, and it's just making me, you know, it's basically just an unnecessary difficulty that Allah is putting me through, which is calculating zakat and removing it. And that's the problem. But if in our own heart we recognize that, you know, what I need to remove my attachment to my wealth. That's my goal. I'm attached to my wealth. I want to remove that emotion or that feeling, or that sense of ownership. So my the manifestation of that is going to be by giving zakat. Okay. Uh, so that's the example that Alaihi um uses. The purpose of slaughtering, so an animal, is not the meat or the blood, but rather by making the heart feel reverence for the religious symbols of Allah Ta'ala. So there's example, every act of worship will have an example like this. Intention is an expression of the heart's inclination to do good, enabling it to attain its purpose. It is better than physical acts that are only intended to channel the act's effects to its desired place, which is the heart. So, you know, salah we perform five times a day it isn't just going up and down and uh, and that's that's not the purpose of Salah. It's so that that translates into some effect on our heart. Now, if we were to leave it to ourselves and say that, you know what, we need to purify our heart, and we didn't have Salah that was mandated upon us, it would be difficult for us to achieve that goal. So Allah mandates that goal. He imposes this responsibility upon us, not because that's the goal in and of itself, but because the goal is purity of the heart. So. By imposing this physical responsibility upon us, he's creating this opportunity for us to purify our heart. Make sense? Okay. Um, For this reason, all acts of the heart have some effect even without the limbs. On the other hand, the action of the limb without presence of heart is worthless and have no effect. So because the goal is the heart... Right. So if you have any, a proper intention but you don't actually carry out the action There's still benefit because the goal is the heart, it's not the movement of the limbs The intention is directly affecting the heart, movement of the limbs does not So he's saying on the other hand, you move your limbs, meaning you perform some deed right? Giving charity or you're praying or coming to the masjid But you your heart isn't present there, there's no sincerity or ikhlas Or niyyah is incorrect then it's a completely useless act. It's as if nothing actually happened, although physically it looks like something happened. Whereas with the intention, it looks like physically nothing has happened, but the reality is that's where that, that's, where the, that's uh, the benefit actually occurred. Okay, the next section. The ability to intend many purposes by one deed. If one, if you knew the virtue of intention that it opens up the opportunity for attaining one's purpose and has an effect on it, then to strive to increase intention in all of your deeds until you intend one. De- Sorry, then strive to increase intention in all of your deeds until you intend by one deed many purposes. Okay, let me repeat this. If you know the virtue of intention, so this is like a rhetorical, you know, way of of, of presenting this. He's like, if you really know how valuable an intention is, this is what he's saying. If you understood how valuable an intention is. so he said, If you know the virtue of intention and that it opens up the opportunity for attaining one's purpose and has an effect on it, which is the heart, then strive to increase intention in all of your deeds until you intend by one deed many purposes. What's he saying? He's saying that intention is so powerful that you might as well have multiple intentions. The deed itself is not where the power lies. The deed lies in intention. So have multiple intentions for one deed so that you can compound the reward or the benefit that you'll get. Okay, so he gives an example. It's a very lengthy example, so I'm just going to summarize it. He gives the example of you have to enter the masjid. So physically walking into the masjid is a single act of worship. Okay, agreed? Outwardly, it's a single act of worship. Now he says, you can have multiple intentions. You can have one intention that you're coming to visit Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because you're walking into Allah's house, you're coming to visit Allah. You can have a second intention, that you want to be vigilant and wait for the salah to come. And we know the reward associated with waiting for the prayer time to begin. You could have another intention, that while I'm in the masjid, I'm going to abstain. Which is like a form of fasting. I'm going to stay away from speaking. I'm going to stay away from checking my phone. I'm going to stay away from... It's going to protect me, you can say, from... Uh, unnecessary speech, unnecessary interaction. I'm abstaining, so that's my sec- third intention. You can have an intention that this. That I'm walking into the masjid because I want to quietly contemplate, uh, which is has its benefits. Contemplate for, for instance, for the akhirah, for the hereafter. You, you number five. It's your opportunity. You're walking into the masjid because this is an opportunity for me to freely remember Allah without distractions. My kids aren't here. My family's not here. My, excuse me. My work is not with me. Okay, that's number five. Number six, it's because when I walk into the masjid, I want to disseminate knowledge to the people I interact with. So maybe there's an opportunity that someone can benefit from something that I share with them. Number seven, he says that you are walking into the masjid so that you can confine yourself, so that you can avoid sins that you are shy about with Allah. So let's say that you're really involved in a particular sin and you're shy about it. Now, when you come into the masjid, that brings about a shyness with Allah that you don't get otherwise and this is very difficult to explain unless you yourself have been involved in a particular sin the one place where you actually kind of feel guilty about it is when you're in the masjid right? you just feel like, I can't believe I'm here, why am I here, I'm, I've been involved in this someone that has, earns like a haram income, right? They come to the masjid on Friday prayer and they just, there's a sense of shyness with Allah that it almost prevents them from wanting to come to the masjid because they know when they come to the masjid they feel guilty. It's the effect of the barakah of the masjid. But anyways, that could be an intention that you have that when I come here, it creates shyness within me with my Allah. Okay, number eight, that you can um, meet with other brothers and other sisters so that it actually joins hearts between the believers. Right. You can pick up a friend, or you know, you can uh, meet an acquaintance. So you could have multiple intentions. Imam Ghazali, Rahimahullah, saying that you should combine all of these intentions when you walk in, because you will get eight times the reward, or eight times the benefit, or eight times the imprinting on the heart than you would from just one single att- intention. Okay, so he's saying for any deed, combine the intention. With one deed, you can get multiple-fold reward. So you can apply this to any act of worship that you. So for instance, a person might sit down to recite Quran. You might think that the only benefit I'm going to get is by reading those words. But during the time that you're reading Quran, you're actually not on the internet. During the time you're reading Quran, you're not on the phone talking or lying or, or deceiving. During the time you're reciting Quran, you are uh, contemplating. So there are multiple benefits that can come. So make all those intentions because they compound the effect. Uh, so he says, regard all of your actions in this fashion for, for by meeting For by the meeting of these intentions, actions are purified and become comparable to the actions of those brought near. Okay. Moving on. Make sense so far? Any questions? Okay. Intention does not come under choice. This is very powerful. So pay attention to this section. He says, Intention does not come under choice because this will answer your question of how do I purify my intention? Okay. He says, Know that intention does not come under choice. So you should not be deluded and say with your tongue and your heart, I intended such and such by sitting in the mosque and think that you have actually intended. You know from what I have mentioned previously that intention is the motivation without which the existence of deeds would be inconceivable. Okay, so he's saying a few things. Number one, intention is not lip service. You can't say to yourself, let's say verbally, that and this doesn't apply to... Okay, so th- this, is, this is the intention of the heart when you're performing a deed So You cannot say to yourself That I'm doing this for the sake of Allah When in reality you're doing it for the sake of six other people Just because you said it with your tongue It doesn't have any value And you can't say it with your heart either that Ya Allah, I'm doing this for your sake When in reality there's someone else that you're doing this for Or some other motivation that's other than for the sake of Allah so he's saying that it's not something that comes from the tongue it's not lip service it's not something that you outwardly manifest from your heart similarly he's saying that you can't retroactively attach your attention, intention to something that you never actually intended on doing so he gives the example which is not clear but I'll give you an example that may make more sense So an affected intention is like a person saying I intended to love and venerate so and so or I intended to be thirsty or hungry or satiated. Each one of these is motivated by an element of necessity that is affected by its causes. For their occurrence is inconceivable without their causes. Thus a person saying that he intended them without them coming into effect is him merely talking to himself. It's not an intention. So he gives an example. How can the one who has marital relations right, with their spouse, how can the one who has marital relations due to an overwhelming desire for it say that he intended to do it for the sake of having children or to increase their number as a source of pride. Right? A, a noble intention is that you're doing it because uh, you want to have children, right? You want to. But if you're overcome with desire, and that's actually the driving force behind you interacting with your spouse in that way, uh, you can't go back and you can't say that, oh, the real reason I'm doing this is because I want to please Allah. No. <laughs> you have a desire. You're trying to fulfill that desire. Now... Another example would be that, you know, let's say there's like a long line for food and, you know, if, whatever, If there are dinner time's a long line for food and the line is super long and you're like, and then you're you walking with the intention that, you know what, I'm really hungry, I want to go eat. You go and you look at the line, you're like, oh my gosh, there's 20 people in line. Then you say, you know what, I'm just going to sit down. And I'm going uh, to with, withhold. I'm going to abstain. I'm going to fast for another five or ten minutes. I'm not going to just give in, right? That wasn't your intention. Your intention, you're hungry, you wanted to go eat. Now, the fact that the opportunity presented itself for you to have to wait, doesn't mean that uh, you can attribute your intention to that retrospectively. Uh, let me try to give you another example. Um, you know, you come to the masjid to play basketball, and you're, you play, you're playing, and the salah's not even coming across your mind, and then the adhan for salah goes off. Right, And then you're like, oh, okay, I guess I should pray my salah here as well. Now, you'll get the reward of praying the salah with the intention of congregation. But that reward of I'm actually going to the masjid for the purpose of praying, you won't get that. So don't say that, oh, I'm actually, you know, you walk in and your father-in-law sees you in the masjid. Oh, what are you doing here? I came to pray salah. You could deceive your father-in-law, but you can't deceive Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. You came here to play ball, acknowledge that with Allah. Just be true to Allah that I came here for that purpose. Now Alhamdulillah an opportunity opened up, so I'm going to partake, partake of it. But I'm not going to get that full reward of leaving my house for the purpose of playing, uh, uh, praying Salah. Now on the other hand, if I timed my playing, or I tie my activity with Salah, that I know that if I can arrange my basketball between Maghrib and Isha, then I can catch Maghrib and Isha in the masjid. That's a different story. Okay, but it's not that something falls upon you and you go back and say, oh, it's actually because of that purpose. Now, the, the idea being that you can deceive everybody in this world, uh, but you won't be able to deceive Allah, and you won't be able to deceive yourself. So you might as well just be true, because Allah Ta'ala will appreciate your being true to Him. Okay, all right. Um, Okay, so this next part is important. On the contrary, you will not be successful in provoking these attention intentions from your heart unless, so this is the pure intention that we all strive toward, you will not be successful in provoking these intentions from your heart unless your faith is strong and your knowledge of the lowliness of immediate fortune in this world compared to the magnitude of reward in the afterlife is complete. Okay, let me re- repeat this because this is going to answer the question of how do i know how do i have the right intention this is going to answer that question so i'm going to repeat it how do i have the right intention or how do i make my intention pure okay he says you will not be successful in provoking these intentions from your heart unless your faith is strong and your knowledge of the lowliness of immediate fortune in this world compared to the magnitude of reward in the here in the afterlife is complete once this predominates in you, it necessarily awakens within you a desire for everything that is a means to reward in the afterlife. Okay. So what Mawlavi Rahiullah is saying essentially is that intention is not an effort, it's an effect. Intention is not an effort, it's an effect. It's only partly an effort that you make, but it's largely an effect so if a person wants to purify their intention when they're doing something for Allah's sake the reality is is that they have to progress toward Allah Ta'ala truly the closer you are to Allah and the more your relationship with Allah Ta'ala is tight then the more like then your intention will fall into place it's not an effort that you can make you can't if you have an attachment to dunya and the dunya drives you and everything drives you in this world people drive you you know wealth drives you uh, that, that's your motivating factor you can't then make an intention that I'm doing this for the sake of Allah when everything else in your life is actually dunya what you're doing is you're deceiving yourself and you're trying to deceive Allah ta'ala but Allah is not deceived by it so it's not an effort that you can make it's an effect of the state of your heart so on the other hand if your heart is connected to Allah and you're constantly engaged in Allah's remembrance and your heart is constantly focused on the akhirah and the hereafter then the effect of that will be the intention will be pure so let me give you an example It's a tough one to give But Let me see Um, You know Somebody who Comes to the masjid to pray This is maybe a common one Somebody asked a question Like And I come to the masjid to pray I don't know When I come to the masjid to pray I don't know if I'm praying for myself Sorry for Allah To show Allah Ta'ala That I that I need him? Or am I praying, coming to the masjid, because if I don't come once a day to the masjid, then everyone's going to ask me where I went. Or people are going to, you know, question uh, what kind of a person I am. Okay, so a person who's attached to dunya, they're always concerned about what other people think about them. So no matter what they say to themselves, their intention is, when they come to the masjid, their intention is going to be for the sake of pleasing people. And on the other hand, if a person is Attached to Allah And their driving force in life is Allah Then no matter what people say about them Or think about them When they come to the masjid Their prayer is only going to be for Allah Because that's all they cared about anyway They didn't care about what people thought Does that make sense? It makes sense Okay So that means for us This may be a take home point That we don't have to get fixated on our intention. We have to get fixated on a, what our connection with Allah Taala in general is, because if we can mend that relationship, then the intention will fall into place secondarily, or consequently. Many a times we grill ourselves: of "My intention isn't right, and I don't know. I'm doing this for this and this and this and this." Fine, continue doing what you're doing. Over time, if you make your goal to connect with Allah, that intention will become pure as well. It's a consequence. So don't give up. Don't. Uh, you should. You don't um, over blame yourself when your intention isn't in line with what it needs to be but recognize that I'm going to continue what I'm doing in hopes that through uh, the sacrifices that I make or the effort that I make to Allah Allah Ta'ala will consequently purify my intention as well okay let's keep going
1: okay.
0: Okay. Ah. Do thoughts originate in the mind or the heart? That's a very difficult question to answer. Um, both. And we'll leave it at that.
1: Both. Mm-hmm. I have a question. So you said initially that intention and then action. So action doesn't matter uh,
0: if the intention is not aligned, right? Uh, Correct. Um,
1: but now, like you were saying that keep coming,
0: right? Yes. Yeah, So, why would you keep coming? Does the action serve any purpose?
1: Yeah, this means that action has benefit too if the intention was.
0: Okay, so, okay, that's a good question. Like, for example, just mm-hmm.
1: saying that sometimes I've heard that it's not just the inwards, it's also the outwards that matter. Inwards helps outwards, and outwards help inwards. Mm-hmm. If someone, a sister, says, I won't take hijab mm-hmm. unless it hits me from inside, right? But on the other hand, if she starts taking hijab, like mm-hmm. Do the outward thing first, without intention, maybe, you know, sometime like, there comes a time that our inwards is affected by outward.
0: Yes, absolutely. But the question to that, the counter question to that then is, what is the intention to do the outward? Presuming, Presumably, the intention to do the outward is because you realize that you're weak and that you want to become close to Allah or you want to please Allah. So you're going to outwardly manifest things so that your inward also will fall into place. But the overlying intention is going to be for Allah, and that's the point. That they, your intention, your immediate focus right now, like if I come to the Salah, Masjid for Salah, and I know that I'm doing this for 500 people, but I know that, look, I need to do this, and I know that I'm weak, despite my, my current focus and intention being corrupt, Overlying intention Is that my goal is to please Allah This is a point of my weakness I'm going to keep doing this Because my intention above Is for the sake of Allah Does that make sense? Whereas if a person Keeps coming to the masjid And their only intention Is actually not for their betterment It's just to please people Then they will never get benefit From those deeds So the question The the benefit of persisting in deeds Is for a person Who appreciates That ultimately This is for Allah's sake Make sense? So you give the example of a sister who wants to wear hijab. It's the same matter. She recognizes that inwardly she doesn't have that motivation, but outwardly she says, that if I start wearing it, then maybe that'll affect my inside because wearing a hijab is closer to the sunnah than not wearing it. Same for a, a, you know a male, for instance, who decides to have a beard. The same type of thing. If a person says, that, you know what, I'm not going to grow my beard until I actually inwardly manifest the sunnah, then I'll practice the outward. That's fine. But the other approach is that let me outwardly manifest a sunnah with the hopes that the inward will also come out from it. Now you could say that, but if I put it outwardly then people are going to know what I'm people are going to think I'm doing it for them or maybe I am doing it because I want other people to see me but if underlying all of that is my intention that you know what I know that there's an akhirah and I know that I want to please Allah ultimately so then you'll keep doing that deed and not let that, those smaller in, sub-intentions come in the way does that make sense?
1: So like the example with the beard, for example, say you just grow your beard, saying, "Oh, okay, I want to make it look good, and so people will like it and stuff." But then after that, once it grow and everything, you say you change your intention and say, "Okay, now I want to please Allah with that." Like, would that be still accepted, or you gotta like shave? Shave it and regrow gr- it. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: yeah, no, I mean you can you can always correct your intention later. You can correct your intention later. That happens often. Sometimes you'll uh, let's say you take on some project, you're involved in. Some project, some fundraising, or you decide to create an organization, or let's say you decide to set up a conference right, and you start and your intention is honestly just for the sake of like making people see what you 're doing, but then midway through, like your heart almost softens, and then there, sometimes you reach a point and you 're like, "Oh my gosh, you know like what was I thinking like This is important But I was doing this For the wrong reason So then you kind of You change your intention And you do tawbah For the intention You had previously With the hopes That Allah Ta'ala Will accept it You know in fact It happens for Iartikaf sometimes People come to Iartikaf With the wrong intention They come because Their friends are here They come because There's good food And then midway Through the Iartikaf They're like Oh my gosh This is where I needed To be all along What was I thinking Ya Allah I'm so sorry I need to be here For your sake And I promise you Moving forward I'm here for you And you alone Inshallah Allah Ta'ala Will accept it this can have this happens for every deed. So
1: Can you say your intentions or do you just need to, like just, like No,
0: you don't need to say intention. Yeah. Time,
1: like, I'm just walk to the
0: yeah, no, that's sufficient. Yeah, that's sufficient. At least in our mouth yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, It depends, Um, so can a sub-intention, it will cause some corruption in the deed, yes It won't be a pure deed presented to Allah But your goal is not that immediate deed, it's your long-term goal with Allah So that doesn't mean that, okay, you can't stop a deed because your intention is mixed when you enter into it Especially if that deed is, so for instance, somebody says um, that, I don't know especially for part of the access acts, but also for sunnah as well, technically. But, you know, I, I'm not going to go to the masjid for salah because if I go for salah, people are going to be watching me. No, you have to go for salah and try to correct the intention. So, you know, I don't want to recite Quran in front of people because when I recite Quran in front of people, it's because I'm doing it, I want people to think I have a nice voice, right? Or, and that's a kriya, kind of. I want people to think I'm better than them. Or, That doesn't preclude you from actually performing the deed. You go ahead and perform the deed in hopes that Allah Ta'ala Accepts it and corrects your intention in the future. You don't stop the deed. That's a trick of shaitan Shaitan will try to convince you that your intention is poor don't actually do the deed Right, so then you'll actually lose out in the long run It is very tricky. The sub-intention thing is tricky But the purpose is that if a person's ultimate goal is to please Allah Then the individual actions, the individual actions themselves sometimes will have other intentions mixed in you have to try to suppress those and be driven by the goal that's above, which is to please Allah. Otherwise, what you'll do is you'll stop yourself from doing everything.
1: Sometimes it's very subtle. like Those subtle intentions are so subtle, yes. so embedded that you cannot even, like you don't know unless something happens
0: to you. So I'll, that's true. Sometimes the intentions are subtle. I'll be honest, the one way to fix this problem, which is what Imam Ghazali is alluding to here, is that you have to grow your heart. If your heart is 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 because if you are attaching your heart to Allah, like you're on the path of progress toward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If that's your, like if, if that's the path you're taking, then ultimately your intention will correct itself. But if you're stagnant in your deen, then your intention is always going to be an issue for you. You'll reach a point, the people who are close to Allah, they'll reach a point where when they're praying to Allah, they could care less if 20 people are watching them or 5,000 people are watching them. You can broadcast them online, they don't care. Because actually they'd rather not be, we'd rather have people not watch them. But then the highest state is that they don't even care if people are watching or not watching The fact that they have to think about that is a distraction for them This ties into like the zuhud that we talked about a few days ago, right? So that only happens when you reach a certain station with Allah That you, when you're, you know, if like for instance, somebody asks for sadaqah They have the fundraising like, you know, that they do sometimes in the evening And you think like, should I give money right now? Should I not give me right now? If I give money, people are going to see me um, people are going to see me, and then if they see me, then my intentions going to be questioned, right? Um, but then if I don't give, then Prophet uh, said I should give openly. So then you're just torn with what to do. But the people that are really connected with Allah, they genuinely do not care what people think. They're thinking, oh, this is for my benefit, for the sake of pleasing Allah. Here it goes. But that experience can only happen once you have developed a, a true relationship with Allah. It can't happen with a weak relationship with Allah. And that's what he's saying. If your love and faith and fear in Allah Ta'ala is deep, then this is a non-issue for you. I mean, it's always gonna be an an issue, but it's more or less a non-issue for you. But you have to reach that point. So most of us are here, the point is here. So we struggle with our intention, we just sit over here, okay? But if we make progress to here, then intention becomes less of an issue. Sometimes because we struggle with the intention, it prevents us from actually moving forward. And that's why I'm saying that sometimes you have to forget the intention and just do it. Because you know that my goal is this, forget my sub intention, my ultimate intention is this, let me just get here. And what helps the most in this regard is having a teacher or a sheikh, because it eliminates the need to have to decide, should I, should I not? You just ask that person and they tell you, yes, you should. Assuming they're thinking what's best for you according to the Sunnah, which usually they are Then you're removing your nafs from the whole discussion Your intention is no longer an issue and I think this is the easiest way to to progress toward Allah When you have choice, then it's a problem But when choice is removed from you, right? Of course in line with the Sunnah and choice is removed then life is just a piece of cake You're not thinking should I should I not because I, I just have to do it There are certain things that you're gonna want to do that your teacher will say no you shouldn't do this Right? And you're like, oh gosh, I'd love to do it. And the, and vice versa. So then intention becomes less of an issue. Your goal is to please Allah Ta'ala. You'll get to that goal. And then you'll have to not worry about it as much. OK. So, uh, I don't know if I confused you or made uh, things more uh, we, clear. We,
1: because, uh, so, so in uh, we have, like, some, uh, some categories of people who will be in the bar, even, even though they fought, uh, in the Allah Allah. Sure, sure. Uh,
0: Yes. Right. Correct.
1: No, no. Allah was not that correct. Was
0: the that's correct. Their goal was not to please Allah, that is to please people.
1: So many times it's not pleasing other people, but it is a custom and what our forefathers are doing. That's why we are doing it. Yeah. Where, where this category
0: will fall that, I mean that's not as bad as doing it for the sake of other people but that's not and we're actually we haven't even gotten to that section unfortunately we might not which is okay it's fine but that kind of falls in the middle I mean you want the v- spiritual value of the deed you won't get that if you're doing it for the sake of your forefathers or because your family is doing it that doesn't that doesn't preclude the legal obligation you still have to do the deed for instance if it's salah and fasting you still have to legally you're obliged to do it even if your intention is not there per se um, but that is not as bad as doing it for other people but it's definitely not at the level of doing it for Allah's sake now sometimes you can use it as motivation right and this is why we as a community we fast because Allah Ta'ala um, okay let me put it. Let me give you an example this may, may actually make more sense in, in light of everything like fasting is a communal obligation right why did Allah Ta'ala make it a communal obligation? He could have said that you know what throughout the year you have to pick five, thirty days on your own of when you have to fast right so now that would be very difficult to do because you'd have to somehow like figure out when you're going to do it So Allah Ta'ala assigned us Ramadan, you have to fast for these 30 days Now, you could say that, okay, Ramadan is an obligation, I need to fast in Ramadan If I don't fast, then people are going to see that I'm not fasting, that's a problem But then you can ask yourself, that, you know what, I'm weak I know I need to fulfill this obligation My motivation may at this point be because I don't want other people to see what I'm doing but the reality is that Allah Ta'ala created this, he's forced this upon me because I'm a weak human being. If I was strong and I could rely upon my pure intention, then there wouldn't need to be a Ramadan. But because there is a Ramadan, it eliminates the need to have to worry about your intention. You just have to do it, I have to do it, I'm not gonna think about why I'm doing it. Make sense? Okay. Um, I just wanna see this important point or two that he covers because I wanna wrap up otherwise by eight, so. Okay, so let's just cover this last section, or this one section, insha'Allah. Okay. Whoever knows the reality of intention and knows that it is the spirit of action does not tire himself or herself with an action that has no spirit. This is verified by the fact that the permissible could become better than worship if intention is present therein. Hence, whoever has an intention to gain strength for worship through eating and drinking it is not uh, and is not motivated to fast at that time, then eating is more appropriate for him or for her. Okay, so, you know, we know that abstaining from food in general is praiseworthy. Right? But if it means that it's going to make us weak, then that's a problem. So on the flip side, are just a mundane act such as eating, if it's done with the intention of, of gaining energy, then it becomes rewarded, and it's actually better to do that than to hold back. Okay, I'll give you a practical example. You know, after iftar, uh, tarawih time comes like in an hour, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's I'll give you another long night. Now, some people need, uh, they say they need like, I need like, you know, chai or coffee or tea—something to stimulate me. That's a mundane act in and of itself, and you could say that. Well, and that's actually an indulgence if I'm going to have—I've already filled my stomach, I've gotten the nutrition I need, um, but and having like a drink afterward is just now at this point indulgence. Right, that's at its face value. But if your intention is that you know what, if I have this, it'll stimulate me and allow me to stay awake and focus so that I can worship Allah for the next few hours, then that's now a rewarded act. Even the mundane becomes valuable. In fact, it becomes more valuable than, for instance, this is, if I had the, other, if I could say that you know what, instead of drinking my cup of what, whatnot, I'm gonna pray more, more salah right now before Taraweeh starts. Right? You could say that this is a better deed than drinking a cup of tea. But no, the reality is a cup of tea is going to have more value and more reward and more benefit than praying Salah at that time Because you're preparing for the Salah that's sort of required later in the night This is why they say in the days before Hajj, right? Like what the, the recommendation of the ulama before the days of Hajj start is to not perform Umrah Like you do your initial Umrah and then that's it You don't do additional umrahs on days, um, you know, uh, six, seven, and eight, right? Or five, six, and seven Because you're going to tire yourself out Now you can say, I'm there, I'm at the Haram why shouldn't I? Umrah versus sitting in my bed and resting and sleeping. That's such a mundane act. I should actually, I'm in Allah's house. I should actually be, you know, doing tawaf and sa'i and performing their umrah. But the recommendation of ulama is that no, rest during that time. It's better for you. Why? Because you have something greater to do upcoming. So prepare yourself for that. Your rest will have more reward than an umrah. That's what Imam Ghazali is saying. And then he says, this is so interesting. He says, whoever gets, uh I don't know, Whoever gets bored with worship and knows that sleeping will re-energize him or her, sleeping is better for him. Indeed, if he knows, for example, that le- <laughs> so sleeping is better at times than worship is, right? We know this. Like, this is from hadith, right? The wife of the Prophet would stand up and pray, and she'd be so tired that she'd have to tie up things so that she could stay standing. No, he said, just rest. Just go ahead and rest. Um, it's better at this point in time. It prepares you. Like, this is, you know, another example is like, You know, I want to pray Fajr in the Masjid, and I'm inconsistent in praying Fajr in the Masjid. This is a mandate. I know I need to do it. It's tremendously beneficial for me. But every single night, I wake up for Tahajjud, and because I wake up for Tahajjud, I end up missing Fajr in the Masjid. Okay? So then you could say that, okay, should I sleep at the Hajjud time, or should I rest at the Hajjud time? For the person who's not consistent in coming to Fajr in the Masjid, you sleep at the Hajjud time, so that you're fresh and so that you can come for Fajr in the Masjid. It's not the other way around, right? Okay. Uh, So he says, Indeed, if he knows, for example, that lightening up for a moment with jokes or permissible conversation will increase his energy then that is better for him than praying while bored. SubhanAllah, right? Like even just relaxing or, you know, telling each other jokes or just whatever, it's, it's better for you at certain times than actually praying. You know, this is kind of like why in irtikaf we recommend in general everybody be very silent. But there's some periods of time, for instance at dinner, where it's kind of like, just go ahead and relax because you need this, you have a lot more to do. At night in terms of ibadah and remaining silent You know so there's period Otherwise we could be strict and say that you know what Itikaf is a place where you should be silent unless it's necessary to speak You know so just that's it But no I mean it's human nature to have to have a little bit of time Where you get to relax So it's built into, it's, we, we built it into the schedule Imam Ghazali is saying that it's, it's important to have this Because it motivates you further So he says Then that is better for him than praying while bored So if you're bored right You're reading the Quran you're just like Oh this is just why am, why am I doing this go up, take a stroll, go shoot some hoops in the gym and come back, unless you're in intikaf. Go shoot some hoops and come back. You know, go for a walk, Uh, you know, do something different. You don't have to just force yourself. You're gonna tire yourself out and it results in what you call like burnout. This actually applies to not just ibadah, but also to like service of deen. You know, many of us, we do a lot of work and khidma of deen. And it's important to pace yourself and have gaps in between where you spend for yourself and for your family Etc., because otherwise, what happens is you spend the first 10 or 12 years of your life just serving, 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 and you burn out. And by age 40, you no longer want to serve deen. People oftentimes, they, you know, they get on, like, you know, I don't know, masjid boards, for instance, burned out, they disappear from deen. So you have to pace yourself in everything ibadah, service, etc. You, you, you need that, that relaxation. The Prophet says, said, truly, Allah does not get bored until you get bored. Truly Allah does not get bored until you get bored. So once you get bored in your worship and your salah and what's not, Allah ta'ala will get bored with you. So just, just take a break and then renew your intention, refresh yourself, do whatever you need to do to get back into it, as long as it's within the permissible, and you re- return to it. just um, some hadith about this. Abu Dadullah radiallahu anhu said, indeed, I relax through some amusement. So I relax through some amusement so that it may be a support for me upon the truth. Ali anhu said, let the heart rest, for indeed if it is forced, it will be blinded. Okay, so inshallah we'll stop here. Um, there's more. We didn't talk about Siddiq, which is truthfulness. But for anyone that wants to, they can obviously read the text. But it's basically uh, understanding what a sadiq is and صدقين. Those are people who are true inwardly and outwardly. But that's a whole other section that we won't, probably won't be able to cover. But may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq to uh, rectify intentions such that it's in accordance with, with, with what's pleasing to him. May Allah ta'ala uh, make us true servants of his who do things for his sake and his sake alone. Uh, may Allah ta'ala reward us immensely for our efforts uh, in this life, for our sacrifices in this life, um, such that we, we may reward, may we receive a reward from him in the hereafter. Wa akhred amman alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.